Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys. Well, welcome back to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. With me today, I have my good friend, Kosti Hinn. Kosti, welcome back to the Equipping You and Grace podcast, my friend. Good to be with you, Dave. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, man. It's always good to, to good to chat with you. We don't get to chat very often, so it's good to, good to talk. And um, Can you just catch us up briefly about what's happening in your life, marriage, ministry, and what are you working on ministry project-wise, brother? Yeah, life is going great. I love my family. I love Jesus. Uh, I love my wife and things are having a, we're having a good time uh, behind me are a bunch of empty bookshelves for a reason, because I've moved all my books out and, and home. i uh, going to be officing at home for the next several months and preparing for a church plant. And our church here that I was pastoring at is renovating. And so they're, they're blowing some of these office spaces to smithereens and adding some new classrooms and children's space and all that. And so um, I'm out and it's all good. I'm going home. Uh, going to office from home. And then with the church plant, we're going to, we're going to work mobile and meet people a lot out in the community and, um, and not have an office the first year. Cause we'll save about 50 grand a year somewhere in there by not having an office just yet. And so as soon as we absolutely need one, we'll get one when the Lord provides one, we'll get one. But for now, uh, working from home and I love it. I know some people didn't like it when COVID uh, drove them back working from home. I enjoy it. I go down, give my wife a hug and a kiss whenever I want, have some coffee, and maybe maybe I order lunch. Maybe I don't, but I probably <laughs> do. I order up a sandwich and yeah, keep on working and plowing. But yeah, we've we've had a good time learning a lot about the importance of community and home visits again as a pastor. We did a lot of that in California as a church plant. And so I'm just coming to appreciate the simplicity of church all over again. I love it. Wonderful, brother. Love hearing that and what the Lord is up to with you and, and things. So continue to pray for you. You know that. Can you uh, tell us about your new book, uh, More Than a Healer, Not the Jesus You Want, but the Jesus You Need? Why, why did you want to write this? And you know how do you hope that it'll be received? Yeah, new book. I'm pumped. And I wanted to write it because I'll give you a few reasons. Number one, selfishly, during all the COVID stuff last year, um, I got this book idea very early on. It was actually pre, pre-COVID stuff. And I started thinking, I want to write a book on healing that puts the emphasis on the healer more than just the healing. And we live in a culture and society where a lot of people have needs and physical needs, and that's good. We should pray for the Lord to heal us, and we want Him to move in our life, and all those are good things to pray for. But what I noticed around that season was our eyes were on, my eyes in particular, were on a lot of other things. And I was looking at the culture and looking at the church and social justice and trying to make sense of a lot of different things. And um, overall, I realized I just want to write a book about Jesus that puts the emphasis on him and reminds me of who he is. And then I'm hoping that this book reminds other people of who he is. And so in the midst of suffering, pain, political unrest, extreme polarization, abuse, all of it, it just seemed like a really good time to write a book about Jesus. And he's the Jesus that we need, not the Jesus that we want. And why did I... Uh, make the subtitle that? Well, because the Jesus that most American evangelicals tend to want is a Jesus that makes them happy, healthy, wealthy, a Jesus that makes everything okay, a Jesus that 
uh, votes for their political party, a Jesus that agrees with their opinion. And when you look at the Bible, you can see what Jesus is about. You can see uh, where his loyalties lie on his earthly ministry. He is going to do the Father's will, and he's going to walk and minister and preach and teach and lead and establish the church in such a way that is in direct line with God's word. And that is going to lead to a set of convictions. That's going to lead to a way of living, and it's going to be in line with God's word. And so we need to go back to who Jesus is. And then another layer of this is a lot of people have been used and abused and kind of chewed up and spit out by the idea that your peace, your comfort, your hope, all those things are all wrapped up in what God can do for you. And the idea that anyone would ever live and suffer is something that few people know how to handle theologically. So I wanted to give the body of Christ a book that they can read and they can share that will anchor people to eternal perspective and a right theology in the middle of suffering, which as some people know, uh, maybe a lot of people by now, if not, I come from the prosperity gospel and was saved out of that movement where there isn't a theology of suffering. And so I long for it. I want to know that Jesus is there, that he's in control. So I think the book will bring, if people read it with an open mind and open heart and submit to scripture, I think it'll bring a lot of hope, a lot of peace, comfort, It'll put the right emphasis on eternal perspective and also remind people that if you have Jesus and you're saved, even if you don't get healed on this side of heaven, ultimate healing's coming. And I hope that they relish in who Christ is and worship him all the more. Yeah. Amen, brother. I, I really liked the book. I, I thought it was probably the best thing I've I've probably read from you in that. Not that the other things were like bad or anything like I've ever read from you is bad. Just this was just so pastoral and it was just so practical. And, and you use stories and that really grips people's hearts and, and gets them to understand the truth that, that you're talking with. And like you said, we, we do tend to focus more on, you know, oh, well, Jesus will do this for me rather than, hey, he's Jesus. <laughs> We're talking about, you know, the I am God, you know, he's fully God and fully man. He's God. He's, he's good enough for us just in, in and of himself. So uh, maybe you want to talk about a little bit about, you know, God's goodness and, and how people struggle with, with, with that in, in the midst of whether they get healed or not, or the, as they're facing difficult situations. I, I know that you probably speak to this a lot with people that you're pastoring and shepherding. So yeah, one of the big triggers for the book as well and getting into it was, um, we have a son for now for three years. He's three years old, Timothy, who was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer at three months old. So real early on. And that was another big springboard, if you will, for the book. And we open up the book with that story. Um, you know, I ran everything through my wife as well and had her look it over the details and make sure I told it accurately and, and faithfully from that standpoint. And uh, we wanted the story in that book because I want people to understand, you know, we're living this and we're, you live what you preach and people are going to go through it. Nobody is immune and people need to know that God is still there. Our pastor, Anthony Wood, he gave us a book once uh, back in Mission Bible days when we were there before coming here to Redeemer and getting ready to plant a church. Um, I still call Pastor Tony, our pastor, he's such a dear friend and a mentor and a brother. Uh, when we got the cancer diagnosis, we went to their house and we were having pizza and we told them one night. And I remember them giving us a book. It was by Randy Alcorn. The book was called If God is Good. And we began to read and we knew we'd been matured in our faith to some degree and been taught well. And we weren't, we weren't losing our minds over it. But you know, I know 
It doesn't matter if you're 35 or 45 or 75. We need to be reminded of God's truth over and over and over. You've never arrived or or learned or heard enough truth from God's word ever, no matter what you're going through or how smart you are. And so we go and have a little revisit to the goodness of God. Mm. And I remember thinking, wow, yes, you are good when things are not. You are sovereign and good over all things. You will take my pain and this situation. You'll bring yourself glory. You are a good God, not because of what you do, but because of who you are. You, your nature, my God is good. You are always good, no matter what. And that drove us there. There's a a great amount of helpful truth in that book on suffering and So that's what people are going to go through, similar situations to us. And you need to be reminded that our God is sovereign, like Psalm 15, Psalm 115, uh, three, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. And he's a sovereign God. We need to be reminded that, you know, Paul, when he addresses the Galatians, he says, I came to you in bodily illness. Paul preached sick. He left Trophimus sick at Miletus. Uh, Stephen, the first martyr, Peter, all the apostles, except John who grows old basically on Patmos, Jesus himself nailed to a cross. Suffering is part of the Christian life. And I was just talking to a brother about this right before actually we we met. I was at a lunch meeting with a wonderful brother and we were talking about the school of suffering. And we as people have no problem with a gym trainer who makes us sore because what? We're going to get stronger. We're going to get bigger. We're going to get in better shape. We don't mind pain and soreness when a coach makes us run up hills and drag weights around and power lift and do all these things that make us sore, make us sweat, give us calluses on our hands, on the balls of our feet. We sweat. We don't mind that. Why? We're growing stronger. We're going to see results. Well, for some reason, and of course, we all know why it's uncomfortable and not something we often equate with God. We are going to be sore spiritually. We're going to go through trial, pain, testing. We're going to be climbing, if you will, the the uphill mountain of life and suffering. And God is going to use that to strengthen us. So Romans 5 is talking about it's what first or James 1, uh, James 1, 2 through 4. When Paul says in Romans 5, we rejoice in our suffering. It produces endurance and character and hope. These are good things. Even though it doesn't feel good, God is good. And he's working through suffering. We have to get our theology of suffering right. And this book will not only do that, but it'll also point people to the comfort and hope and strength that's in Jesus. Yeah. I remember uh, when we had fellowship one time together, you, uh, you said, Dave, I have something to tell you. And then you told me about your son and uh, just... You know, I just was, I was sad. I really was. And just was praying, you know, for you. And I know you were sharing with me privately about that. So, but yeah, I'm just so thankful that he, I've heard now that he's doing well. And but in a, in a lot of ways, I, I understand, I don't understand exactly what that's like, but with my parents, you know, it's, they have Alzheimer's and my dad, my mom has Alzheimer's and my dad has dementia. And, it's known as the long goodbye. And it's easy in those moments, you know, it's emotionally overwhelming. And, uh, you know, some some people can deal well with that and other people don't. For me, it hits me and then I'm not okay. And and realizing that it's okay to, to not even be okay. I mean, Jesus wept, <laughs> you know, that's the shortest verse in the Bible, you know, uh, and and that's that's okay. It's okay to weep. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to, you know, lament and and 
pour out your heart before the Lord. And yes. uh, those are all biblical categories. And they, they even express, you know, God's, God's goodness and his, his character to us. So, you know, I don't know if you want to say any, anything else about that. Yeah. Just, I, I think of Christ and him weeping in that passage when he, you know, he finds Mary and Martha there, he's going to heal Lazarus. Here's what I, I didn't think about a ton until recently preaching a text out of first Peter and then cross-referencing back with that story at some point in the sermon, Jesus didn't have to weep. Isn't that amazing? He already knew that he would heal Lazarus. Martha's freaking out. If you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. Jesus weeps. That tells me that my Savior and my Lord understands and he sympathizes, he empathizes, he cares. He cried as the Son of God and he didn't even have to. He just he does so. And that's mourning with those who mourn, like Paul says in the book of Romans. And it's meeting people there. And it's showing compassion. It's having empathy and sympathy for others. And the greatest example of that is Christ himself. Jesus modeled what it means to show compassion. Uh, We see Jesus when he shares about the prodigal son and what it looks like for a father to run down the driveway, if you will, towards his son and not say, oh yeah, now you're home. You ran out of money, huh? Now you want to come back. And you you, know, he throws a party for his son. Uh, The good Samaritan, all the religious people stepped over the, the beaten man, but the Samaritan sees the Jew who he's supposed to hate, and he has this gut-wrenching, gut-level compassion. That was modeled by Christ. And so in all those things, yeah, we want to be able to, to show compassion, even if we don't know what people are always going through, and we don't always understand, and we can't, we think we can't relate. Look, we can relate by sharing God's truth and Sometimes being like Job's friends, not when they were blaming him and definitely not his wife when she said, curse God and die. But how about Job's friends when he just sat, they just sat silently with him. And the book talks a little bit about that. We have dear friends of ours who uh, lost their baby girl. And I share a little bit about their story in the book. They, they let me do that. And there was their words. They wrote that story and shared from their perspective. And um, they're still wonderful people and dear friends of ours. We love so much to this day. And hearing their story, reading it again was a reminder that I, I don't know what it's like right now to have lost my baby girl, uh, but I know what it's like to see our friends go through that. More than that, I know how to sit silently and pray. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know how to love someone. Don't need to have gone through what they went through. Don't need, I just need to know I can love them and I can sit with them and I can pray with them. And I don't have to have all the answers, but I know someone who does. And so again, this book is going one place, Christ and Christ alone. But yeah, um, I was just going to say real quick, I'm going to brag on you a little bit. You know, because because you model what you just said so well, you know, um, I've seen that. And and it's so it's so important for us as as Christians, as Christian leaders, especially to to, to not think that we have to have, you know, all the answers uh, to help people. The most helpful thing that we can do is just to do what you just said, uh, to not say, OK, well, I know exactly what you're going through. You know, there is a sense in empathy and care and, you know, that, that we want to express, but just acknowledging, Hey, I don't want to have the answers to this person. Um, and I don't even know what to say, but this person doesn't even need me to say everything to them. Um, providing Christ-centered comfort and care doesn't mean I have to have the answers to their specific thing. Just listening. And, and that provides a vehicle by which you know, I, I've learned personally in ministry now for 21 years. That's probably the most powerful ministry. Uh, I remember being in many pastors' offices sharing, and they don't have answers to some of the things that I'm going through. But but they put. I remember one pastor who's a dear friend. He's probably he calls me his little brother. 
he's uh, he's uh, in his mid sixties. He puts his hand on my when I'm in his office, which you know he's in Idaho. He puts his hand on my puts his hand on my uh, my hand my my hand in his office and just prays for me, you know, and comes around and gives me a hug. You know, that's the most powerful. If we would understand that, that's the most powerful ministry that we we can have. Because I always leave that office, his office, or time with him encouraged. Um, so, dear Christian, you don't have to have all the answers, but you do need to show care and concern and. Um, yes, having we're not minimizing. Costi and I are don't hear us say that we're minimizing. You know, giving answers. We're just saying the first step is you know that it just being a being a presence, being there. You know, um, so amen. Yeah. Well, brother, uh, what's we got a we got a few minutes here left. Uh, briefly, what are what are some what do you mean by hope breakers and hope builders? Yeah, <laughs> in the book, I wanted to give people a really clear and. and sort of clever because uh, when things are when things rhyme or they're they're pithy they sometimes are easier to remember and so i wanted to give this picture of hope builders and hope breakers things that break our hope down and things that build our hope up so the more you go through difficult times the more you're going to see patterns and this is where it can be a little uncomfortable for people to face but it can also be very encouraging let's say you go through difficult situations and you tend to be a real negative person or a big complainer or the kind of person that just gets around the wrong people all the time who don't believe what you believe and they don't, they're not armed with truth. And like you just said, there is a totally a time to sit quietly and walk with people in love. There's also a time to say something. Well, what if you're around the people that say the wrong things and unbiblical things? Uh, those things can break you down. Also, trials and circumstances when you don't have a good theology of suffering, you don't understand God's will and his word can break you down. Um, but hope builders are different. Those are things that are going to build you up and things that are going to encourage you, things that are going to strengthen you. And so as the uh, winds and waves of life pound into your ship, so to speak, uh, as you're sailing through life, if we want to take that illustration all the way, uh, there are things that can keep you stable and from capsizing. And so I walk people through some of those, um, as well as some other elements of joy in the midst of suffering. I wanted to give people a biblical picture as well. And so a lot of these tips or applications that I give people in the book are not coming from a place of my own opinion. They're not coming from all of my experience. I'm not that old. I'm not old enough to be that wise. Uh, they are from the Bible. And I have found and been encouraged by even older pastors who are mentors to me. If you stick to God's word, it's a well that never runs dry. You can always offer people something. It's, you know, just like when Paul tells Timothy, let no one look down on your youth, but in what? Be an example in speech and conduct and purity. In our godliness, we can encourage other people. And in our, um, you know, Bible centeredness, if you will, we can give people tools for navigating really difficult situations. So yeah, look for that in the book. There's there's two sides I'm going to give you and you'll know pretty quick. Are you the kind of person that leans into hope breakers? And are you the kind of person that um, sees hope builders for what they are? And then the last thing I'll say about all that is when we can quantify those things, we can begin to avoid things that steer our hope away from the Lord and our eyes away from Jesus. And if we can quantify the things that strengthen us, we should run to those things. So I'm challenging people in that chapter, he is hope, to turn to Christ and to run there, not to complaint, not to, you know, alcohol, not to pornography, not to your own flesh, not to just, you know, giving up, no, to the Lord. 
and look to him as your source of comfort and peace and strength. That's really good, brother. Well, um, where can people go to find out more about you? You know, maybe you want to talk about for the gospel for a minute, you know, so where can people find you at for the gospel and, and your work online and on social media and, and otherwise. We launched uh, officially and fully this past year, uh, early on this year for the gospel, which is our resource media ministry. There's a great team of contributors. Everyone's doctrinally aligned, really solid group. Uh, it's a ministry that I'm the president and founder of, but it's not you know just my ministry. There's an incredible group there. I want people to know pastors and friends that have helped me and that are blessing so many people. Uh, all of these men lead churches. The women who are contributors with us are godly women and are married to our contributors as well and doing a great job. But for the Gospels, tagline is sound doctrine for everyday people. So what I'm doing and asking our team to do is take great theological truths, big lofty theological truths, and put them in everyday language, help people understand divine truth in simple ways. And so we're doing a video per week, which are short, clear, super creative and easy to understand videos. I lead the podcast every Monday. We drop a new episode. And then also we have some surprises in store that probably have to do with music and curriculums. So stay tuned for that. Nice. And yeah, and we're, uh, we have a blog. We've got a, a wonderful readership and people uh, accessing and reading articles. Some, of course, great contributors, again, guys who lead ministries and do some wonderful things in the media world and evangelism and equipping people. So uh, we're on Instagram. We're on TikTok now because it's a huge mission field and we want to be putting truth out there as well. Uh, Twitter and Facebook. And then we have a YouTube channel where we post everything for free. So the only thing we ever end up having a cost associated with, with is pretty much right now publishers charge for books. You know that you've published books. I've done the same thing. Um, but all of this stuff, even a, a conference we have coming up called DTR to find the relationship to dating and courtship conference. Uh, we're charging for the conference in person because that covers the baseline cost, but we're producing the whole thing pro professionally and putting it out on our YouTube channel for people like Netflix episodes. And so all of our stuff is being given away for free. So when people support or donate, uh, that's where that money's going. It's driving our programmatic costs to put out resources. And then as far as books, Amazon, christianbook.com, those places are where you can find More Than a Healer and God, Greed, and the Prosperity Gospel. If you haven't read my first book or Defining Deception, if you want to go deeper into the roots of some of these dangerous movements that are out there today, but I'm on social media and we're just trying to share the gospel and more importantly, uh, focused on the local church with our church plant this February in Chandler. The church is called the Shepherd's House Bible Church and our team's pumped. So we'll just keep trying to win in our homes with first ministry, uh, win in the local church by being faithful and then help our brothers and sisters by putting out faithful resources that can serve them well. Well, brother, do you want to briefly maybe give us one or two takeaways before we have to end our time together? Yeah, um, I'm going to restate it again. Get a theology of suffering. It's not a matter of if something's going to happen to you. It's a matter of when you're going to suffer. Someone you love is going to suffer. You're going to go through trials and temptations and valleys just as much as the mountains, if not more, of your life. So know God's word. And second, and most important of all, everything's about Jesus. So look to Christ, stir your affections for Christ by knowing him and reading his word and pray that the Holy Spirit would stir your affections for him and that you would love him more than anyone or anything on this earth. Looking forward to heaven. That'd be my encouragement, brother. 
Amen, brother. Well, I'm so thankful for you and the work that the Lord has given you both, you know, in the local church and outside of it and for how he's using you guys. The book is uh, More Than a Healer, Not the Jesus You Want, But the Jesus You Need by my buddy, Costi. Uh, please go ahead and pick it up. I, I encourage you and, and go check out For the Gospel. I was privileged to be on his podcast. So thank you. Thanks, brother. Hey, love you, bro. Keep it up. Love you too. Keep it up too. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.